Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started tonight. We're going to be in the book of Ruth, so go ahead and get your Bibles open. We're going to be in chapter 2, and uh, we've been working our way through this book of Ruth, talking about God's providence, God's uh, sovereignty, His presence in our life. Um, Can we guys grab some lights for us here in the center? That'd be great. Um, And so we just want to continue to look at this. And so, so far we've kind of dealt with some pretty hard topics. We've talked about suffering. We've talked about mistakes. We've talked about mess and just how does God show up when things are tough. Tonight we're going to kind of turn the corner a little bit. And tonight we're going to talk about God and my blessing. And we're going to talk about what does blessing look like from God and what's the point of blessing. And um, and as I was kind of working through this, um, I was thinking about dominoes. Did you guys play with dominoes when you were kids? Who played with dominoes when they were kids? All right. I never actually learned how to play the game dominoes until I was dating Courtney and um, her dad taught me. But when I was a kid, we used dominoes for like blocks, right? So we would like build like houses and castles and stuff out of them. Like that was our dominoes experience as kids. And, but I remember the one thing that I always really wanted, um, do you guys remember this, this game that came out when it's called Domino Rally? You remember that game? We got a picture of that? There's this game called Domino Rally. And, and so they had like all these really cool colored dominoes and you would hit it and it would, it would go over and eventually go up like a ramp and downside and they would hit this rocket and the rocket would shoot up. Do we have that picture of Domino Rally? That's in that. There it is. You guys remember that game? All right. I always wanted that game and I never got it. I was a neglected child, okay? But, so, but the cool thing, that, the, the best thing about dominoes as, as a kid was like, I didn't want to do all the hard work of setting them up, right? But like once you get them set up, you can just do like one little, it just takes one little move with the domino. The first domino is all it takes, and they all go down, right? That's like the coolest part about dominoes. That's an example of how blessing works in our life with God. When God blesses us, he wants it to be that first domino in the chain that then leads to another blessing, to another blessing, to another blessing. We bless somebody else, and they bless somebody else, and it's just this chain of blessing coming from the Lord. And so the thing we want to look at tonight in the, in the book of Ruth is this. I am blessed to be a blessing. That's the whole point of God's blessing. When the Bible talks a lot about God's blessings, and it's good, and it's important that we talk about this. Some people have turned it to be all about them. God's blessing is not all about you, it's not all about me, it's about me being, a, being blessed so that I can be a blessing to others in his name and for his glory. And we're going to see that here in the book of Ruth. So I'm going to do the same thing I did last week for the kind of step time. So we're going to walk our way through this little piece of narrative here. I'm going to point out a few things as we walk through the narrative, and I'm going to circle back and give you some observations and some applications out of this section of Ruth. Okay. So chapter 2, pick up with me in verse 14. If you remember last week, we kind of left off. Ruth had went out gleaning, and she just happened to come along the field of Boaz, right? And then Boaz just happened to roll up in his Bentley and get out and, like, bless all of his workers and say, oh, who's this little girl here? And so then they start this conversation, and she's working for him that day. And then about halfway through the day, verse 14 comes, and it says, and at mealtime, lunchtime, okay, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. 
Okay, so the first thing I want you to see here as we're walking through the narrative is this, is Boaz blesses Ruth. Okay, so Ruth's been there. She's got permission to glean. She's been gleaning. She's been working hard all day. Lunchtime comes, and, and Boaz here, it, it's, it's mealtime, and so mealtimes were a really important thing in this culture, in this time period, as it is for us today. Mealtimes were when fellowship happened. It's when relationships were built. It's when connections were made, all right? That's why after core group every week, we do some snacks or some food together. We go downstairs and we share a time where we're just getting to know one another and building relationships. This is why we do this in our small groups. When we start small groups, there's a time of fellowship and just breaking bread together because relationships form over meals. It's just the way it works. This is why it's so important for our families to have family dinners throughout the week, whether it be every night or a couple nights or whatever you can swing, but to sit down at a table, have conversation, like this is a big deal, right? It's a big deal in your relationships. We've been talking about relationships. We've been walking through this passage, right? And we've gotten a lot of relationship advice. And one of the, one of the, the next thing, you can add this to your list of relationship advice from Boaz, okay? Men, take her out for dinner, Okay, take her out for dinner at a nice restaurant where you actually like sit down and they come and talk to you and serve you and you're not standing in line to get your food, okay? And they, they don't have like uniforms that were given to them by the restaurant, including a hat. Not those restaurants, okay? Take her to a nice restaurant, sit down, have a meal, have some conversation. Okay, whether you're dating, that's great. If you're married, you still need that. Courtney and I just went and had dinner this past Thursday night. We just got out, just no special agenda, no, we just went and had dinner and conversation and walked and talked and mealtimes are important for that, okay? And then here, Boaz says, okay, it's lunchtime. Ruth, come eat with us. And what we see here is Boaz, he cares for his employees. He's a generous employer, all right? He's ordered some emos in, all right? He's got it laid out in front of everybody, all right? He's, he's providing some food for his workers and he doesn't have to provide anything for the gleaners, they're already getting a free meal anyways from getting to glean, right? But for Ruth, he says, no, no, come eat with us. Come sit at the table, right? And he calls her, and he elevates Ruth to this, this godly and respected position at the table at, in society. Remember, she's a Moabitess. She's not even an Israelite. And he invites her in, and she gets to be a part of the group, right? And then not only does he invite her to the table, but he personally passes to her the grain. He personally serves her. You catching this? You see the humility there in Boaz? He's honoring her. He's respecting her. He's, he's, he's doing something that, honestly, he, he doesn't have to do. She doesn't deserve this type of dignity or honor. But he's serving her just like Christ came and served us when we didn't deserve it. So Boaz serves, and so here's another relationship advice for you, okay, men. You need to serve the women in your life as Christ serves and loves the church. That's what the New Testament tells us. Whether that be your wife, whether that be your girlfriend, whether that be your daughters, whether that be whoever, like you need to serve these women with the love of Christ. As he has served us, we serve. Boaz is showing us that here. It's important. And then notice this, she comes and she eats, and it says she ate all she wanted. She had her fill. And, and Ruth and Naomi, they've been, on, they've been traveling for several days. They, haven't, they don't have anything. They're poor. She probably hasn't had like a good meal in a while, all right? So when she has full access to the table and can eat as much as she wants and says she got her fill, that was probably a good helping of food. And then after she gets done eating, she still has some left over. 
That's how generous Boaz is to her. He gives her so much that she can eat all she can, and she still gets a doggy bag to take home. All right? And so, and then she finally gets done eating, and she gets up to go back to work, and, the, and Boaz pulls the young men over. He's like, hold on, come here, come here, boys. Come here, come here. I already told you about the don't touch her thing. All right? I'm still serious about that, by the way. Okay? So don't, none of that. And secondly, I want you to help her out today. I want you to let her glean even among the sheaves. Even after you bundled up and you laid on the ground, let her come and glean there as well. In fact, pull out some extra ones and just drop them on the ground as you're going so she can get some extra grain today. And don't reproach her and don't rebuke her and, and let, her, let her glean. All right, he's taking care of her. He goes so, so, so far beyond what the law required of him to show her grace and to show her, her, her love and to ensure that both her and Naomi will be well taken care of and well provided for. Boaz is very, very, very generous. And I think the reason that this is so important for us is because Boaz is showing us this principle that as God has blessed him, he's wanting to bless others. Remember, they just came out of a famine for who knows how many years, right? And he's been, you know, he's, he's owned these fields all through the famine. He hasn't been making any kind of profit. He hasn't been bringing in anything. So now the, the famine's finally up, and he's starting to get some profits back. And instead of hoarding those profits, just in case another famine comes, just in case another hard time comes, I just need to build bigger barns and just store it all up, right? No. He continues to be generous. He doesn't let the fear of the unknown or the past stifle his generosity. I think there's an important lesson for us there as, as Americans. Right now, we're kind of coming out of our own little economic recession over the last 10 years, right? And the tendency is, okay, the job market's finally picking up. People are starting, the housing market's starting to pick up again. Like, man, we need to get as much as we can and, and, and hold on tight to that so that we don't, in case something else, what if, but if we start to let that stifle our generosity that God is calling us to, that generosity to bless others as he's blessing us, that well will dry up very fast. And so Boaz doesn't do that. Okay? So he's, he's kind to Ruth. He, show, he blesses Ruth. But then I also want you to notice the other thing here about Boaz that I think is important is how he mentors the younger men. Right? All throughout this, the last section we did last week and the section this week, he's pulling the, these young men together saying, listen, here's how you do it. Here's how this works. Don't do this. Do this. He's, he's coming alongside them. And, and so I just want to say a couple things to guys in our church right now. Senior men in our church, you need to be like Boaz, you need to be like Boaz here. You need to seek out younger men. You need to build relationships. You need to pour wisdom into them. You need to be seeking that. Job 32 verse 7 says it like this. I said, let days speak and many years teach wisdom. Okay? Wisdom comes with years with the Lord. And if you have that, you need to be sharing that. You need to be blessing others as you mentor younger men. And younger men, those of us who are younger, we need to be seeking out those relationships as well. It's got to be a two-way street. Seeking out those who are ahead of us in the Lord are wiser and have that experience and asking them to, to speak into our lives and gleaning wisdom from them. This is important. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. We need this type. This is why I've stressed in the very beginning how important it is to have diversity in our church. 
including generational diversity. So we can have older and younger coming together and wisdom being passed. And in, in our small groups, we kind of already have this built in. So once we launch small groups, we have a time called mutual ministry where we get together, we, we share life together, we, we share our burdens, we, we help one another, we pray for one another. And we're not there yet. We're going to be launching those in the future. Don't wait till then. Start seeking those relationships now. Go to dinner. Go get, a, go get coffee together. Go shooting together. Or go do whatever you want to do. But find some time where you're, you're, you're gleaning or you're giving wisdom, whichever side of the coin you're on. So verse 17 continues on here. Talking about Ruth, it says, So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over, over after being satisfied. Second thing I want you to see here is that Ruth goes on to bless Boaz and Naomi. All right? So as Ruth is being blessed, she's blessing others as well. It says that she went out and she gleaned until evening. Okay, so it would be really easy at lunchtime. She's worked hard all morning. She's probably already got a pretty good stash going. And now Boaz feeds her lunch and gives her leftovers to take home to mama, all right? And so, like, it would be really easy to be like, oh, man, I think we're doing pretty good today. I'm going to head on home. But she doesn't. She goes back out. She works hard till the evening, continues to work and work and work. She does not take advantage of Boaz's kindness and his grace towards her. She continues to, to be a blessing in return by not taking advantage of what he's doing for her, what he's providing. So she gleaned an ephah of barley, which is approximately about 30 to 50 pounds is what she gleaned in one day. And the equivalent in this time period would be about two weeks wages. So she made about two weeks wages in a day because the guys are like throwing out like extra stuff all over the place, right? And she's just like shoveling it all up. And so she goes and she beats it out and she takes it home to Naomi and her hard work is now going to bless Naomi because she's bringing back all this food for her, for the two of them to, to survive, to get on with, right? And she brings home the doggy bag and gives it to Naomi, right? Again, Naomi probably hasn't had a good meal in, in a long time, right? They don't have anything. And so she's providing, she's being a blessing. She's, she's mirroring Boaz's generosity, Right? As Boaz was generous to her, now she's being generous to Naomi. You see the blessing, how it continues on? Then pick up in verse 19. I love this. And her mother-in-law said to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Like, did, like is this legit? Did you go like knock off a 7-Eleven? Like, what are we, what, how did you come up with all this? Like, where did you get this? And then she goes on, blessed be the man who took notice of you. Right? So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This is very different language from when they came to Bethlehem, isn't it? Mara, bitter, the Lord has forsaken me. You see the tone changing? This is Naomi also said to her, this man, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Right? So up to this point, Ruth still didn't know who Boaz was. He was just this nice guy who was helping her out. He happens to be a relative. Okay? So the next thing I want you to see here is now Naomi, who's been blessed, is going to bless Boaz and God in return. 
Okay, so first of all, she asked her, where did you glean today? Like, she's like totally taken back by this haul that, that Ruth has brought home. She's like, where in the world did you get all of this? And so she, and she immediately turns and gives a blessing on whoever it was that showed her favor. She doesn't even know it's Boaz yet. She says, may he be blessed by the Lord. And she blesses him specifically for his kindness. That kindness is the same word that we talked about a couple weeks ago, said, And said is this is the totality of God's loving attributes. It's the totality of all things that are good in our Lord. And, and what we're seeing here is that Boaz has mirrored, has reflected the hesed of God to Ruth, who is now reflecting it to Naomi, and it's this blessing that's just being passed on and on and on. And now Naomi, for, for maybe the first time in a long time, is actually starting to be reassured that God still is hesed that God still is good, that God is still one who shows up and provides and helps and blesses his people. She says, may he be blessed for he has not forsaken the living or the dead. He is one of our redeemers, she tells Ruth. Not only has he provided for the widows, in doing so he's also honored their deceased family members by caring for those that they left behind. And I think there's a little bit of hope here in Naomi's voice that he might even do more. He might even redeem them further than just providing some food. And this all links back to something in the Israelite in the Old Testament, in the Israelite um, law and teaching called the kinsman redeemer. Right, this is an important concept, an important picture of who Christ is. The kinsman redeemer was a close relative. Okay, who was basically in charge of her, was, was responsible for taking care of the extended family in the tribe. One of the most important things to the Israelites was making sure that the family, the tribe, the extended family stayed together, that the name carried on, that the land was secure, that they, they had a strong family together. So the kinsman redeemer was, was the one who was supposed to make sure that happened. And there's a couple of ways they could step in and help if things went sideways. One way they could redeem was this, they would redeem people out of slavery. Okay, so in this, in this culture, if you got in like serious debt to somebody and you couldn't pay it off, you could sell yourself into slavery. It's not really slavery like what we think about slavery in the United States was. It was more like indentured servanthood. So like if I was in major debt, I would sell myself to this person. I'll say, I'll work for you for three years to pay off my debt. Okay, and so people would do this. And so the kinsman redeemer could come along then and buy them out of that slavery, pay off the debt early and get them out so they could go back to farming their own land or go back to helping the family in whatever way they did. All right, so that's one way the kinsman redeemer would show up would be to get people out of the situation. A second way would be to redeem or avenge murder in the family. So if one of the family members was murdered, they were the ones who actually would go and seek justice for that family member. They would either go and, and take them into the justice legal system, or they might even take justice by their own hands, depending on where you're at in Israelite history and how things were functioning at that point in time. But they're responsible for redeeming or avenging that murder, that, the blood on that family. A third way was they would redeem land from loss. Okay? So another way, if I got into debt, instead of selling myself into slavery, I could sell my land. So if I'm in debt here, you can take my land for the next seven years or five years or whatever. That'll pay off my debt, and then it'll come back. Well, again, the Redeemer could go and redeem that land and bring it back into the tribe and into the family, which was where it was supposed to be. 
Okay, so these are all kinsman redeemer functions. Now, Boaz here, technically, although he is a kinsman redeemer for Naomi, he's not technically obligated to anything for Ruth because she's not an Israelite. She married into the family. Her husband died. So sorry. Off you go. All right, that's basically how it worked. But here we can tell in Naomi's voice and the way that she's telling Ruth, notice she says, he is one of our redeemers. She didn't say he's one of my redeemers. He's one of our redeemers. She's expecting that he is going, he's going to be willing and he's going to be able to redeem Ruth just like Naomi because she is now part of the family. She has now uh, given her allegiance to God. Remember that very eloquent statement she made to, to Naomi earlier? I will go where you will go. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. She has pledged herself into this family and into this people. And so now, as far as Naomi's concerned, Boaz is responsible for both of them. Okay? And we're going to see that Boaz already is showing, is going to continue to show, that kinsman redeemer love of caring for and taking care of these people just like Christ showed up and took care of us and loved us and redeemed us. Look at verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, Beside he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So, Ruth says, okay, that's great. Uh, he told me to come back. <laughs> he told me to keep coming back until the end of harvest, and I can keep gleaning here. And, and what's interesting is Boaz has kind of already even appointed himself as their provider. Before she's having this conversation with Naomi, before all this kind of plays out, like he's already told her, come back. I'm going to take care of you. He's already guaranteeing that they're going to have a livelihood from this point forward. Right? And then Naomi takes this opportunity just like Boaz mentored his young men, Naomi takes this opportunity to mentor Ruth. And so women, I would say the same thing to you that I said to the men earlier. Older women, senior women, you need to be pouring into younger women. You need to be instructing them. You need to be helping them. You need to be giving them wisdom. Younger women, you need to be seeking those relationships out as well and seeking that and gleaning that wisdom from those who are ahead of you in life and ahead of you in the faith. Titus 2 Chapter, or verse 3 says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Everything I said earlier jointly applies to you ladies. They need to be seeking these relationships out, seeking opportunities to grow together. The, the generation, the diversity of generations in our church, this is why we need it. This is why it's so important. If we don't seek out these types of relationships, both men and women, we're just throwing away the blessing that God has given us in that. So let's take advantage of that. Let's seek it out. And then it says that Ruth lived with Naomi. So she follows Naomi's advice. She stays there. She doesn't get all bent out of shape. She listens to Naomi. She stays. She continues to work. She goes back every day, working in the harvest. She does, again, not taking advantage of Boaz and his kindness. He's, she works faithfully and hard for Naomi and for her. But it seems by absence in the text 
that Ruth and Boaz's relationship kind of cools down. Like we don't have any more indication of any more conversations or lunches or it's just kind of, and Ruth just seems to be okay with that. She just keeps going back and working hard every day and doing until the end of harvest season, right? And she's just trusting the Lord that he's going to provide. He's providing now for food. He'll provide whatever else may come down the road when it comes, however it comes, not getting all bent out of shape about it and just trusting the Lord that he'll be faithful. All right, so that's kind of the narrative for today. Now let's kind of circle back. I want to give you three observations and applications out of this text for talking about blessing. So I started with the main idea being this, that I am blessed to be a blessing, okay, in three different ways. I'm blessed to be a blessing with my resources is the first one. I'm blessed to be a blessing with my resources. I want you to notice here, first of all, Boaz does this, and notice who he blesses, all right? He blesses two groups, I would say, of people here. One, he blesses his employees, those that are close to him, those who he cares about, those who he has relationships with, those who are going to benefit him, right? They're working for him. So he blesses those who are close to him first, but then he also blesses Ruth with his resources. This stranger that he doesn't know from another country, but's in great need. And so when God blesses us with resources, we need to bless those around us that we do life with together on a regular basis, but we also need to have our eyes open and be ready to bless those that God brings into our path that are complete strangers, but that are in need of some assistance and need of some help, need of a blessing. Okay? So look to bless others with your resources. The second thing I want you to look at here for Boaz is this. Look at how he blesses uh, specifically three ways. First of all, his blessing is very generous. We already talked about that, right? Like he's a very generous man. He's giving more than he has to. None of this is expected. He doesn't have to give them a meal. He doesn't have to give her extra wheat, but he does. He's generous. He also blesses abundantly, right? At the meal, she has food left over because he's given her so much. When she goes home with her, with her take-home, she has this ton of food, right? Because he's blessing her abundantly. And then he says, you know what? Come back and get more. So he's blessing her continually, He's blessing generously, abundantly, continually. This is what it looks like to give a blessing from the Lord. I was thinking about blessing. I love hearing stories of people being blessed and people being a blessing. Just this past week, I was out at Starbucks one day working on some stuff, and, and I used to go up and get a, a drink. There. I've been um, talking with this, this woman there named Jen and, and kind of talking to her about church and stuff. And, and I came up to get my drink, and I said, hey, I'll have this. And I pulled out my stuff. She's like, no, it's on me today. I was like, no, I can get it. She's like, no, I just want to bless you today. And I was like, oh, thank you so much, and I really appreciate that. And it felt good. Like, it feels good to be blessed. I, I didn't need it. I could have paid for it, and it would have been fine. And, but sometimes people, you just, you just want to bless someone just to be kind, just because just it's good. It feels good to be blessed. It feels good to be a blessing to others, right? Uh, I, and I was thinking about just the, the, the re, how, this, how this works in our church. Like, I want our church to be a church that blesses people. That's why at Christmas we did Christmas presents, right, for, for a couple families in our community. Like, we want to be a blessing to others, and I want to I create a culture here where people are wanting to be a blessing. And I, I hear stories of you guys blessing one another all the time. And I, I, I just realized this week, just when I was praying, so I'm like, I get to hear all these stories, and you guys don't. Like, people tell me, because I'm the pastor, and a lot of times you guys have no idea what's going on. I heard just this past week, and I'm not going to name any names, so I, a lot of people want to do this stuff anonymously, and that's great, and 
there's another member of our church who, who went up to another member last week and said, you know what, I just really appreciate what you're doing. I appreciate how you're, you're leading our church, how you're, how you're serving our church, and I just want you to know that you're doing a really great job and gave him like a $5 gift card to Starbucks. Like, what a great way just to bless someone. Like, again, not that they necessarily even needed it, but just wanted to show love and kindness and blessing to somebody. Like, that is key right there, guys. Like, we want to be a blessing to other people as God has blessed us. Even if you only have a little bit. You can still be a blessing to somebody. And so the question for this one is, how are you blessing others with your resources? With what God has given you, whether he's given you a, a lot or he's given you a little bit, how are you using that to bless others and to be a blessing? Okay? Second thing, I'm blessed to be a blessing with my service. With my service would be the second area that we see here in the text. You see, we see service happening all over the place in this text. So first of all, we see here that, that we need to serve those that are below you. You need to serve those that are below you, whether that be in your home, in your work, in your church. Boaz here, at the mealtime, he's serving Ruth. Right? He serves her the grain. He takes care of her. He, he humbly serves her. And she's definitely not anywhere the status that Boaz is. But he's, he, he comes down to her level and he humbly serves her. And we need to do that. We, need to be, we never need to be too good to serve anyone. Okay? Serve those below you, but then also serve those above you. And we see that from Ruth here, right? Like she goes out, she works hard, she doesn't take advantage of Boaz, she's being a good servant in that way. And for us, man, when you're on your job, like you need to be a blessing to your boss. You need to serve them well. I don't care if they're the worst boss in the world, right? You're a follower of Christ, this is your opportunity to serve well. I know it's hard sometimes, I'm not trying to belittle that, but like, we need to do that when, when you're in your home with your parents or with you know, anybody that is in authority over you in the church, in the community. Like You need to serve them well. You need to be a blessing with your service to them. So serve those below you. Serve those above you. But here's the most important one. Serve those that are closest to you. Ruth here, she serves Naomi well. She works hard. She brings home a good load. She brings home the extra food. She's serving those closest to her. And we need to serve those closest to us, which is usually our family. And so I'll say it this way. This is so important, guys. Listen to this real quick. Because sometimes as Christians, this is one area that we tend to get sideways really quick. Don't fail to serve your family on mission to serve the world. Don't fail to serve your family on mission to serve the world. Yes, God has called us to serve those out uh, on our street and in our workplace and in our church and our community. Yes, he has, but not more so than he's called us to serve our own families. And so tap those first. Nobody else here, I, I heard a pastor say this one time. It really stuck with me. God hasn't called anyone else. He's not bringing anybody else along to be a husband or a wife to your spouse. You're the only one that can do that. He's not bringing anybody else along to be a parent to your kids, right? Somebody else can do your job at church. Somebody else can do your job in the marketplace. Somebody else can do your job at that community organization. All those things are replaceable. <laughs> You're not irreplaceable in any of those areas, but as a husband, as a, a wife, as a parent, God has called you to that position and you alone. That needs to be first. Serve your family first, serve the world second. Okay? So, and, and when we're talking about service, it doesn't always have to be some big extravagant thing, like just serve in the everyday stuff, 
right? I, I, a lot of times, I'm in, I end up working from home. I have an office down in our basement. I'll be working on stuff. And sometimes I'll get, I'm one of those per- people that when I get it's like seriously into a big task, like I just don't want to stop for anything. And so I just kind of keep plowing through. And so I'll, I'll go through lunch pretty regularly. And there will be several times where Courtney will create, make a sandwich or whatever, and she'll bring me down lunch and drop it in my office and just, you know, just to be a blessing, just to be a blessing of service. Not that she has to. I can go upstairs and make a sandwich. Like, I'm not incapable of making a sandwich. But she's just being a blessing in service, right? It's just simple, everyday stuff like that that we can do. I remember whenever I was teaching um, at one time at a school. So, like, you know, for teachers, I don't know if you guys know this. If you've never been to the education field, you might not. Teachers actually love snow days more than kids, okay? So, like, you know, like, you have kids, like, they're always, like, super psyched when a snow day is coming. Like, teachers are, like, double that, all right? So, but, like, the worst is when you're teaching, you're at school, and the snow comes in the middle of the day, right? You're like, oh, right? And so, then there are times, like, are we sending people home early? Are we not sending people home early? Well, I remember one day I was teaching, snow came in the middle of the day, they decided to keep us all, and so, you know, the kids are, like, crazy, because there's, like, Something with snow coming down, like, puts off, like, a chemical in the air that, like, their brains just go ridiculously <laughs> off the chain, okay? But, so, they finally get the kids on the bus. They're sending them home. As so all the teachers are ready to cut out, too. So, all, no, nobody's staying to work late tonight. So, everybody's going out to their cars. As we're walking out to our cars, the principals are out in the parking lot with brooms, and they're brooming snow off all the teachers' cars so the teachers can go home quickly. And I just remember looking at that saying, man, what a great example of serving those that are below you. Serving those that you didn't have to do that. Are you kidding me? But they just wanted to be a service. They wanted to be a blessing, right? I see this in our church. I see you guys serving one another, being a blessing. I don't want to embarrass Angela, but Angela says our fellowship stuff every week, and she does a great job. But one of the things I've noticed she does a lot of times is we have people all throughout the building serving. They're doing worship practice. They're setting up kids' ministry. And there's a couple of our people that are like on like, they have like an IV drip of coffee. And so she'll, like, make a couple cups of coffee, and she'll actually take them cups of coffee while they're serving so they, because they can't take a break, come down and get it. It's a great, it's a practical, everyday, simple act of service. Blessing others through our service, right? So who are you blessing with your service? If this is what we're called to, who are you doing? What are you doing? Who are you blessing with your service? Who are you blessing with your resources? Who are you blessing with your service? And then the last one, I'm blessed to be a blessing with my wisdom. With my wisdom. Again, we see this with Boaz. We see it with, with Naomi. They both want to protect Ruth. Boaz is mentoring his young men. Naomi is mentoring Ruth. Like they're, they're coming alongside these, trying to share wisdom with these people to help them advance. And so I just want to, because I think this is so important, I want to give you five keys to godly mentoring. Real quickly here at the end. Five keys to godly mentoring. Whether you're the mentor or the mentee, these are important for you to know and to have a hold of when you're looking at these types of relationships. Okay, you with me? All right, so the first one is this. Source matters. Okay? The source matters when it comes to mentoring, when it comes to godly mentoring. The source has to be this. Right? A good mentor, a good godly mentor, is using the Bible as its source of information. They're not just telling you what it says. They're showing you how to do it. Their life reflects this book. They don't just know how to talk about this book. Are you with me on that? Right? That's what a God source matters. So look for someone who is re- dependent upon the book and lives out the book in their life. That's the kind of source that you want mentoring you. So sources matter. Number two, relationship is key. 
Godly mentoring only works when there's a good relationship. When you have a relationship with somebody, you know that you can trust them, that they're, that they're trustworthy, that they're going to be real and transparent, that, they're, that they have your best interest at heart, right? That you know you can press in and it's going to be okay. You can say something and they're not going to tell anybody. That, that you can be honest and they're not going to judge you and they're not going to come harshly at you. They're going to come alongside you and tell you what you need to hear but with the grace of the Lord. So relationship is key. If there's not a relationship, the mentoring won't go very far. I've done this a lot, and I've done, I've done it wrong a lot. <laughs> okay? We need the relationship has to be there. That's why the time is so important. The third one is this. It's timely. Godly mentoring is timely. In other words, I know when to talk, and I know when to not talk. You with me on that? <laughs> you, ever see, you ever had one of those people in your life that, like, they just always knew when to say something, but they also knew when to not say something and let you just kind of hit the waters a little bit before they come in with the, with the lifeline. All right? Godly mentoring, it's about, it's about timeliness. When do I say it? How do I say it? When do I not say it? The third one is, is practical. Sorry, the fourth one is practical. Godly mentoring is practical. It's taking the theoretical that's in this book and actually applying it to real life situations. Okay? There's a lot, there's tons of great principles in the Bible, but if you can't ever get those principles into real life and apply them in a practical way that actually makes a difference, it doesn't really help you much. And the godly mentor has done it enough to know how to take what's theoretical and help you apply it in a very practical, real life situation type of way. And the fifth one is this, mutually beneficial. If godly mentoring is done well, it's actually a mutually beneficial relationship. The one mentoring actually grows as much as the one being mentored. In faith, in action, in, in knowledge, in truth. Because as I'm mentoring others, God's bringing it to, bringing it to life in my own life. He's bringing it up again. He's teaching me. He's helping me get more solid in it. And the one being mentored is picking up the same thing. Okay? So five keys to godly mentoring. Sources matter. Relationship is key. It's always timely. It's practical. It's real. And it's mutually beneficial. That's what you want to look for. That's what you want to strive for in a mentoring relationship that's going to reflect the Lord. I know for me, as I was thinking through mentoring, with this whole journey of church planting has taken my understanding and my appreciation for mentoring to a whole new level. I, I, many of you know, you've met my coach, Steve, who's a mentor to me from Peoria, but I also have guys at the, at the, at the leadership level in Chicago of HBF that are mentoring uh, from time to time and things like that. And then just this week, I had a conversation with another church planter who's about six or nine months ahead of us and I was asking him, hey, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And he was mentoring me, and he's only six months ahead, right? But he's already learned some stuff that can help us, and I want to hear it. And so he's, and he sent me some resources, and he said, here, try this, and, and we use this. And, like, mentoring can happen that quickly. It doesn't have to be, like, years and years ahead, right? I'm talking six months. <laughs> and then the next day, I had another guy call me, another church planter, who's about a year behind us, and he was asking me, hey, how'd you do this? Did this work? Did this not work? And I was able, actually, to mentor him a little bit, even though we haven't even planted yet. We haven't even launched yet, okay? But God's already given me a little bit of something I can pass on. Hopefully, it's helpful. I'm, 
you know, maybe not, but, you know, you can weigh that out as you go, right? So don't think of mentoring as having to be like this huge thing where it takes years and years and years to get all this wisdom. You have to know the Bible perfectly. It's not that. It's taking what God has taught you and shown you and grown you in and passing it to someone who hasn't had that yet, even if it's only three months behind, okay? This is awesome. This is how it works, that God works this way. And, and the key to this is this, guys. There will always be somebody ahead of you, and there will always be somebody behind you. There will always be a Paul out ahead of you leading the way that you can learn from. There will always be a Timothy right behind you that you can pour into. And we need to look for relationships in both directions. Okay? So who are you blessing with your wisdom? Who are you blessing with your wisdom? Being a blessing with my resources, my service, and my wisdom. Now, my greatest blessing, your greatest blessing, and our greatest opportunity to be a blessing actually doesn't have, isn't any of those three things. It's the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. See, right in the middle of this great passage here, we talked about Boaz being the kinsman redeemer, right? And, and in this, he's a picture of who Christ is and how Christ is our redeemer. And I don't know about you, but the greatest thing that God has ever given me in this life has been Christ coming to redeem me from my sin, from my brokenness, from my messed up life, And because he's blessed me with that, I get to turn around and be a blessing to others by leading them to the same Jesus who can redeem them just like he redeemed me and he redeemed you. And so I want us to close tonight with that. You see, in this story, Boaz, right, he he gives Naomi hope again. He actually, he kind of stokes the fires of her faith. He stokes the fires of of her hope in God again because he has shown her that God is a redeemer. And no matter how bitter she is, no matter how sideways she is, he can still come and he can still redeem her out of all of that. Just like he redeemed you and he redeemed me. So will you stand with me? I want us to just kind of end in this glorious thought of the redemption that Christ has done for us and give him glory and praise and worship him in that. We're gonna sing a, sing a song simply called Redeemed. We've never done this song here before, but it's a couple years old now. If you listen to the radio at all, I'm sure you've heard it. If not, you'll pick it up quickly. But it just speaks of that glorious blessing that we have in Jesus Christ, our great kinsman, redeemer, who has taken us out of all the mess and all the muck and all the mire and given us new life. Let's praise him and glorify him for that, and then I'll come and pray to close us out. Let's sing together.
blessing that we could ever imagine and that you have redeemed us us who were so lost and so unworthy Lord I thank you that in the midst of doing that Lord you didn't redeem us simply to, to put a trophy on your mantle 
Lord, you redeemed us to use us, to send us out for your great name's sake, to be a blessing to others, to share your redemption, to share your wonderful word with all those who will listen. Lord, I once heard someone say, I'm not who I need to be, but I'm not who I was. Well, that's because of you, and we know that to be true tonight, Lord, for all of us. And we ask, Lord, that you would continue to grow us. Lord, you would continue to help us be a blessing to others as you bless us with our resources, with our service, with our wisdom. But most of all, Lord, with Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer. Father, may these people, may this church, Lord, be a light that shines into the darkness and blesses all those who are in search of you, even those who don't know it. Lord, that through us that you might bring marvelous redemption to a lost and dying world. Lord, we pray all of this in the great and precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen.